Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for downloading or streaming or clicking play on YouTube. This is The Curated Culture. I am Rob with The Curated Culture, and I am joined by Mr. Michael in this area. Mike, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining me. You are a, uh, you're a jack of all trades, a master of science. A master of science. Uh, yes, I have paperwork for that now. I guess <laughs> I can say that. Right on. You, you, you are validated. And uh, we have a lot to discuss, a lot to get in today. I'm very excited for today's interview, man, because uh, I'm, I try as much as I can to be an information sponge and uh, just kind of doing a little bit of pre-work and, and looking into your background and things like that. It seems as if you are a wealth of information. So... <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and I make the joke about the master of science. Just understand when you get a master's degree, all it does is expose your ignorance. Um, the more you learn, the less you know. So I say that, uh, yes, I have a master's in science. It is purely paperwork. <laughs> right on. Right on. So let's, I mean, let's get into the, the education and, and all that. You are a Flint native, correct? Yeah, I grew up around the north side of Flint. I actually went to Flushing schools, but grew up on Carpenter Road, just off north, off the north end. Yes, um, didn't spend a tremendous amount of time in my youth there. It was later when I went to college that I spent the vast majority of my time in Flint. Okay, okay. In college, you attended? Well, I'm the guy who started over when the market fell apart. Okay. Um, in 2011, I went through bad times like many did uh, in our areas and decided that since the world was going to help me etch a sketch my life, I would do the same. Okay. Um, I started over from 16 years of retail management at Sprint and other wireless providers. I went to Mott Community College at first, uh, thinking I was the smartest man on the planet, that I was going to go there and just walk in and own the place where I promptly failed my entrance exam. Um, had to use cons academy things of those natures to kind of catch up it was humbling um, Mott is where everybody should start it is one of the best uh, community colleges that you'll ever find especially in Michigan and that's where it all started I, I met some professors started to love learning and that led me to going to U of M with the same kind of attitude and swagger I walked into Mott with where they promptly punched me in the face with information and made me study nonstop just to keep up. Um, and that is where I've learned just so much. Um, the education process has probably taught me more as a person than even some of the information gained. Yeah, what, did, what, did you, uh, what did you end up studying? What was your major? Well, I walked into Mott telling them I was going to be an aerospace engineer. Uh, they looked at my scores, they smiled, and said, what's your backup plan? Uh, I, you learn, when you go to school, I didn't know this, because as a late bloomer, you go to school as an adult, it's completely different as a kid, but you kind of learn what you want to learn, or what you want to be while you're there. I walked in saying aerospace engineer. I have a, a passion for aerospace. I think it's one of the more amazing things in the world. Um, that's not useful in Flint. So uh, it moved to mechanical engineering where I spent the first two years in mechanical engineering, 
where I learned about sustainability and energy and transferred over to um, the energy department where I, that, where I finally ended up getting my degree. Okay. All right. And um, so how, how were you in school? Have you, did, did you find it easy to like ace all your classes? Did you struggle at all? <laughs> um, if anybody ever calls me smart, I take offense to it because I have to put a tremendous amount of work into learning. I apparently, if there's a gene that makes you great at learning, I don't have it. I have to read, reread, reread. It takes so much more effort for me to, to soak in some of that knowledge. I jokingly say it's because my brain is old and I'm always around these younger students, but uh, no, it, smart is linear with, with work. If you put in the work, you will learn it. And you know there are some things that are harder. Chemistry is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I am a uh, serial C student in chemistry. I'm in awe and wonder but I barely pass it every time. <laughs> Just a, a constant struggle. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's the fun part about learning is that it takes that effort and Absolutely. that you earn it so you appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. And and I heard, I, I'm seeing a, a recurring theme here. I heard space and aeronautics. Um, you're wearing a SpaceX polo right now. Uh, is this is this like a lifelong interest or has it been a lifelong interest for you or was it something that you kind of grew into as you got older? Well, it became a bigger interest as I educated myself more, but as a child watching Cosmos uh, with uh, Carl Sagan, the, the universe is of wonder. And um, as a kid, that's what allows dreams to happen. You know, when we look at the world like today, it's rough. You look around and you're always seeing the negative. In an information age, it seems like everybody wants to put the negative information out front because it sells a little better. But uh, there's so much wonder. There's so much absolute magic in the world. And aerospace brings a lot of that to us. Definitely. And um, so have you, have you had a chance to check out any of the new Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson? We were just talking about that last night, my wife and I. We get on these trends of shows, and um, we haven't, you know, she hasn't seen Supernatural. So we're now going through what I believe is an unending amount of seasons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, there is. Uh, Cosmos, uh, Space Force, I think, is on that list. We have a handful that are that are coming up next. But no, shockingly, I have not. And that's coming from a guy who, like, sat on Fox when the first Cosmos came out and just waited and waited and just waited. <laughs> I, uh, I had the, the distinct privilege and honor at, uh, at New York Comic Con a couple years ago of meeting Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was immediately clear after he said maybe five words that he was like the smartest person in the room, <laughs> hands down. But we, we talked for a little bit, and at that time, uh, they were just getting ready to bring Cosmos back. And it was, it was, there was a big deal about it. Uh, we got a chance to speak to uh, Carl Sagan's wife as well, which um, was interesting. 
and they were they both shared this this wonderment and this exciting and this passion or excitement and passion around space and exploration and all the infinite mysteries of the universe and i, I find that still to be very fascinating and um you yourself dabble a little bit of that uh mostly with with uh rocket launches with uh live launch correct Correct. Well, and, and you hit part of it right there with that wonderment, but there's also a whole other side when it comes to aerospace. It takes our, it takes the youth all around the world and inspires them. The first computer was built by a gentleman who saw it on Star Trek. There was buttons that didn't even work, but they needed to be there because he saw them. He was inspired by a TV show and made it real. Uh, if anybody remembers Nextel, it was designed around this flip, beep, talk thing. You know, it yeah. was people grow up with the wonderment of what they're looking at. And some of those people grow up to do it. Yes. And that is the important part. So, for an example, Live Launch was a mistake. Live Launch was a Facebook group created for the kids in my family so that I could tell their parents there's going to be a launch, turn on the TV, and set your kid in front of it. Right. All it was. It had about 18 people on it. Um, I did not know that people could request to come in. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, one or two would trickle in. And I'm going, well, I can't, I don't want to stop someone from seeing this. And I just let, let them in. Well, um, as of today, a few years later, there's almost 24,000 people on there. Um, we are a community of space lovers, of rocketry engineers, people from SpaceX are on there, NASA, all over the place. Um, it is becoming an educational community. And that's what is, now that it's starting to morph into that, I have to put time into it. I have to help this grow. We started a program just a couple days ago um, called uh, F the Future Astronauts of the Month Club. Okay. Uh, the last launch with Bob and Doug, sending them up to the space station, parents were sending photos of their kids and astronaut outfits. Kids were drawing pictures and posting them. That It makes it all absolutely worth it. So we wanted to continue to keep those kids involved. Yeah. So now what we'll do is we have photographers and everybody else on that site they're they're allowing us to buy and pick up different things so that when we pick a, a student every month we can send them a care package they can get something uh, in the mail they're gonna be uh, posted on the site they'll have a bio on the site we want to make sure kids understand we appreciate it because guess what I'll never get into space <laughs> but everything they do because well first of all they charge by the pound and i'm a big guy yeah. second of all um <laughs> second of all they're the ones that are going to do these amazing things mm -hmm. and i can't wait to see it absolutely and and i i love i love that it's just uh based on how it started and you really proving the point that space is is in in aeronautics space exploration is one of those subjects that is multi-generational it clicks with everybody it's, it's almost a great unifier of sorts it is it's not even just that there's over 50 countries on that site 
there are people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and no one cares where you came from. We're all here to talk about this rocket. If someone's going to argue, it's because this rocket's better than that rocket. Right. And that is every time I get on Facebook and it makes me sad, I have a tab I can click now and just have wonder all mm -hmm. the way down the page. And that's, and that's beautiful because it's, it's definitely needed now more than ever. What, what, was your, uh, what was your thoughts or your feelings once you saw that the page started to grow? Did you have like a holy crap moment? Yeah. Oh, I, uh, I called my brother, my, I called uh, my mother, like, we're going to hit a thousand people. There's going to be a thousand people on this site. That is, I was mind boggled. But then, as you know, anything that has more people starts to snowball on its own. Absolutely. And uh, with the, the Wednesday launch that was postponed for uh, Bob and Doug going to the ISS, uh, mm -hmm. we added 5,500 people that day. I spent wow. 12 hours trying to weed through and make sure, you know, they weren't bots, but um, because we want to keep the experience pure and fun and positive. So we sat, my wife and I sat there weeding through my brothers, although all my friends started to become moderators to help out just so that we could get them on there just for the flight to be canceled in the last eight minutes and uh, have to do it again the, later that week. Yeah. So from that experience though, what, what did you learn in terms of planning for plan B or worst case scenario? Um, as an engineer, you have to simplify things. Um, sometimes things are going to get through those cracks. You're going to get bots in the system. There's going to be spam. We just have to have people monitoring so that we can get it out of there as quickly as possible. And so we set up a few things so that if someone answers all the questions to get into the group, we want them in that group. Mm -hmm. We might as well just let them in, get it set. It's, it's a community of aerospace lovers. And if, uh, if I announce to the group, if someone is being rude, harsh, you know, talking politics, I mean, you can talk politics anywhere but here, uh, then just flag it. We'll handle it. There's now nine of us working to weed through all those things and get them pulled out the moment we see them. So we, we just want to keep the community having fun. We want the kids to just continuously dream. And... Um, we want the we want the future of aerospace to kind of show their head in this group so that yeah. we can watch it for the rest of our lives absolutely it's, it's a positive experience for everybody involved yeah that awesome man and and I, I can hear the passion in your voice behind space but you're also uh i'm assuming a little bit of a of a numbers nerd because you're, you're really passionate about stem as well yeah well Aerospace and STEM go hand in hand. Uh -huh. um, you you cannot, and I'm going to apologize to my brother right now. You cannot English degree anything into space. Um, <laughs> we pick on each other and make jokes like that all the time. But um, we also, I also spend a lot of time because kids need STEM, Definitely. and some of that passion on aerospace comes from the work in Flint and working with kids and having them understand what STEM is and not to be scared of it. And STEM is the most important thing for kids in school. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are the thought processes that will get them through anything in life. Through, you know, we always say, why can't we teach kids to balance a checkbook? 
No, we teach them to think and problem solve. Balancing the checkbook becomes easy then. Right. 100%. And I, I want to bounce back a little bit because um, the, the mentioning of the hometown, um, Flint, and it's, it's such a, a vibrant, brilliant, diverse community. Um, you were in college around the time the Flint water crisis started, right? I was, yes. Yeah. Did, did you have any involvement in studying or uh, the discovery of the Flint water crisis? What was your experience with that? Yes, the university was very involved with the Flint water crisis, um, dealing with the governor and different individuals during that time. Um, there was a handful of us that, there was a group of people who actually did the mapping uh, of all the leaded pipes through the city. Um, I worked more as an advocate going to the off-sites and trying to make sure the science of what they were doing were correct. So mm -hmm. for an example, uh, so the individuals don't get poisoned by their water supply, they were giving out bottled water. Mm -hmm. Well, they would take those bottles and pallets and leave them out on, in the sun, um, out on parking lots and driveways, which then, you know, anybody who understands any of the physics of light and things, how it passes through plastics and leaches those chemicals and it actually, it can contaminate the water. Right. So we would go from water site to water site saying, hey, these have to be in a shade. They have to be above a certain temperature. You can't replace poisoned water with poisoned water. Right. Right. And that, and it's, it seems like, you know, we, we often hear the phrase double whammy today because it's just when you think something's bad, there's something else that's even worse that comes along. And, and I, I can't even use double whammy to describe that. It, it was just the perfect concoction of, of terribleness. You had uh, the decision to switch to water for one. You had the leaching of the lead pipes into the water supply for two. Um, and you had cover-ups and all that going on. It was just a, a wild and crazy time. Well, it's an indication of what happens when you make a financial decision without scientists. There was exactly zero chemists in that decision-making. There was no hydrologist in that decision-making. So when you look at numbers on a spreadsheet, it's very easy to decipher what you should do. But unless you have scientists or engineers working with you, you don't know what the result of it is. They didn't know that if you take away the lubricant that goes inside the pipes, you have a 100% chance of poisoning your residents. They don't know that. They don't know that without a chemist. And they didn't hire them. Right. And, and this is, is one of those things, another phrase that we hear more often today is something that could have been prevented. Is, is this one of those things that could have been preventable with, with proper guidance and uh, the, the right amount of, uh, of, of um, or I guess I should say the, the right decision makers on board? Well, yeah, you could have easily not changed a thing, but you're still dealing with 100-year pipes um, with a 100-year warranty, if you will. They're, they're, okay. they're set to fail. They have hundreds of main breaks on a regular basis. The system is broken. It needs to be replaced, um, so which means that it, the, the issue transcends well past they made a bad decision. Mm -hmm. There's financial uh, crises going on. People are placing money maybe in the wrong place or, 
where they believe it might be needed, but they're not maintaining the infrastructure of Flint, which really just leads to the stigma of Flint. Flint is an amazing city with amazing people. 100%. We taught STEM on the north end of Flint, and when I hired people to work in STEM and told them where, a third of them quit immediately. These are wow. good kids. These are strong kids. They're, they, these kids fight through more than you'll ever imagine and still show up on their own with a smile. You Why know, do you so, think that is, though? Why do you think it's so easy for people to kind of discount or discredit Flint as a whole? Well, it started way back when, when it was constantly rated the most dangerous place in America. According to People Magazine, I should be able to go to Compton or anywhere else in the world to Beirut and go, man, this is nice uh, because I spent all my time in Flint. But it's not right. true. You take a small segment and you say, this is Flint. Now, we, you know, we drop off that list, which is going to help. Now, yeah. Flint's residents have dropped under 100,000. But the last time I saw that count, it gave the, the cities that are most dangerous and it put an asterisk at the bottom and said, Flint is now under 100,000, is no longer eligible for this. Well, if it is, keep our name off it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Just take it off the list. I mean, there's, and it's, it's beautiful because you go downtown, um, you know, parts of the north side even, and, and it's all, it, it looks like it's thriving again in comparison to, you know, when I was younger, every house was almost boarded up you had a lot of businesses closing and there's a lot of really nice housing coming back you have a ton of beautiful restaurants downtown Kettering is 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 leading the way with a lot of restoration over on the north end there um it's it, it feels like it's it flint is due for a massive comeback no um if led correctly it will it is there is no easier city to redesign than one that has been destroyed so wow. they've shrunk it down to a small core. Now they've done that to the detriment of some of the people who were there, but they are rebuilding Flint and it is getting better, but it needs a industry. It needs where GM came in and made it thriving. It needs to think future, you know, um, energy companies, you know, solar, wind, they need something that is newer, something that is emerging, something that is uh, that can bring those people into work. And then Flint will shoot back up just like it was before, because they are some of the most resilient residents I've seen in America. 100%. And, and I would imagine that one of one of the biggest, best ways to do that is by encouraging STEM. If you want new technology and you want uh, amazing startups, you, you start by teaching students the, the wonderment of STEM. We, we, taking little solar panels and making race cars with small electric motors and watching kids light up that they just made that move with photons, with, you know, with light touching a panel is just, they're gonna, something's gonna click in their mind that I can't think of. Mm -hmm. And I need it to click in their mind because I'm gonna want those technologies. When I get older, it's their technologies that are gonna keep me alive, keep me healthy, um, you know, it make my life easier, you know, so it's both of our little, lives easier. It's some, it's a little self-serving too. So, yeah. um, no, you're right. Absolutely. If you want Flint to take off, it needs to be a technology center. And with Kettering and two of them, there's no reason not to, along with Mott. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I am, I am more on the, on the technology side. I, I love my, my gadgets, uh, different computer sciences, things like that. Um, you specifically have honed in on the STEM conversation with STEMnetics. Can you tell me a little bit about that? STEMnetics was the place that I started working when I was at U of M. I was struggling to get by, single dad, uh, trying to find work because no one wants an adult in college who can't just work a full schedule. Uh, STEMnetics allowed me to be an instructor, to go from um, housing complex to housing complex and bring my little basket of stuff and go teach STEM to kids. Uh, which started off as a job because I had to have a job um, and led to uh, I'll probably do this forever. Um, it was an amazing experience to be accepted in those areas, which didn't happen right away, but to be accepted and to see the growth and to see the excitement, um, kids just flocking to come. We're going to build a rocket today mom, we're going to build a rocket. <laughs> so, uh, and in some communities, the parents came, which makes it even better because Absolutely. then it becomes a bonding opportunity for everyone. Absolutely. Just like we touched on in the beginning, you're bridging that generational gap at that point. You know, it's, it's one of the few things that, you know, it, there's always legit, genuine excitement behind. Yeah. And STEMnetics fosters that the individual who runs STEMnetics does it as a passion project. He doesn't make a penny. Um, he, he, he wants these kids to have these tools, every tool they have in their toolbox. You know, when you learn something new, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. When you use it, um, it's knowledge. Right. And if you use it enough, it can become wisdom. And that's when they can pass it on to someone else. And that's very, very important. And he understands that and is pushing for it no matter what the, the company itself is doing, he continues to, we're making videos. I am not a guy like Bill and I that makes a good video. They're pretty boring. <laughs> uh, but we make videos to put on the, the Facebook site for STEMnetics that, that when there is no school, parents can set their child in front of it and they get a little bit of science that day. Um, so Facebook groups, First Emnetics offer parents an opportunity to trade different ideas for helping their kids learn in STEM, along with projects that they can do that are fun and easy. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is all easily digestible stuff. Yeah, I mean, the last video I did, I drew on a plate <clears throat> to my wife's, uh, we'll just say she was nervous. I took a dry <laughs> erase marker and drew on her fancy white plates and made people on there and then let them dry, talked about you know, some of the properties of each of these things. And when you put water on that plate, those people rise up off the water and float because of the, the properties of the ink and that they're lighter than the water and less dense. So most of this stuff is very easy. It's something kids can do and see. The next step to that is you know, do it in a large bucket of water and put your arm in there and you just gave yourself a ink tattoo that you can wash <laughs> off later. But, it is an opportunity to give them something that isn't just YouTube. You know, yes. YouTube is an amazing tool when used correctly. It mm -hmm. can go the, it down in a different rabbit hole. We want to give kids something to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so we'll get into 
my next favorite subject because you're the king of sub uh, segways, not subways. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, giving people something to use, um, sustainable living. Yes. It is a very important topic, I think. Uh, my wife and I have had discussions about it uh, several times. She is all about just reducing our imprint as much as possible. She has tried and tried and tried uh, to get me to stop eating meat because apparently that, that impacts our ecosystem heavier than anything. Uh, I'm still revolting on that, but there's other ways that we can help out. Can you can you speak to us in, in regards to just the, at its base level, what sustainable living is and why it should matter to everybody? Absolutely. Um, and again, it's one of those yay moments I get to talk about. <laughs> but um, there's a perspective out there that you have to either be all in or all out. And that is not remotely true. I... I do things like use my reusable uh, drink containers, but I also know that if I buy this from the store, I have to keep it for seven years. If I don't, then I should have just used paper cups. It has something called embodied energy. There's a lot of stuff to that. But mm -hmm. sustainability is a to understand the things you're doing. You want to know before you do anything what the effect is. When I advocate for sustainability, I don't tell you, you have to do these things. You have to stop eating meat. You have to stop buying brand new items. Because just like a diet, if you try to go all in, you're done in two weeks. Okay. So what I always try to talk about when it comes to sustainability is make educated decisions. So in the book that um, that you're asking about earlier was uh, that I'm in the process of finishing, which is yes. the guide to reading your life. It talks about making small positive steps, increasing your positive footprint or net positive footprint. Every time you don't grab a bag at the store and you bring your own, um, you're doing a little bit. Does it mean that if you uh, forget your bag, you've caused a tragedy? No. You don't have a plastic bag, but that can be a trash can liner. Every time you use an item more than once, you take the amount of energy that was in it and you cut it in half and you cut it in half and you cut it in half. So you, the goal is to use things more and think about what you're using. I have a massive home for the five of us here. Is that mm -hmm. a sustainable living environment? Absolutely not. But I change out to LEDs. I make sure I'm insulated. We, we set timers for things to turn off. We make a conscious effort to reduce. And that's really the most important thing. If everybody just made a small conscious effort to reduce one or two things, the amount of energy used in the world would reduce. And that right would on. help tremendously. Okay. So what, what are, in your mind, let's say three of the easiest steps people can take right now to reduce their footprint? Um, you can walk. If you have the opportunity to ride a bike or walk, do so. Not only does it help your health, but it also reduces the amount of carbon footprint from driving the vehicles and all the you know, congestion on the streets. Uh, here in Duran, we try to work on a, we're changing the mindset from driving to walking. We're trying to make everything walkable. We're trying to make it safe. Uh, because when you think about sustainability and energy, I'm a fan of understanding embodied energy, the total amount of energy it took to make 
use and throw away something. So if I walk, I not only don't drive, but I also reduce the amount of input I'm going to need for healthcare. I'm going to reduce, I'm going to live a little longer. You know, uh, there are things that are going to be benefits beyond just not driving. I'm not Absolutely. risking an accident. I'm not taking up a parking spot. My vehicle isn't just sitting there. But so the first thing is, is walk, walk or ride a bike. Um, the second thing is we shop a lot in America from groceries to just, I want that neat thing. Um, be mindful, be mindful of where it's coming from. A lot of times getting it from somewhere on the other side of the planet. And I, and to me, it doesn't matter which country, the further it comes from, the more energy is involved. So not only the production or collecting materials or all these things, if, if I have an apple from China and an apple from Michigan, it's still an apple. Right. But if I calculate it with embodied energy, this apple has a hundred times more energy collected than the Michigan apple. Mm -hmm. And you know, some people say don't buy China, buy Michigan anyways, but I'm doing it based on regional understandings. I Absolutely. want my things to come to me as close as possible. Is that always possible? No, no. Sometimes I, I have to order things on Amazon. You know, I have to order the things I want elsewhere to get the quality I want sometimes. But when I have that opportunity, you take it. If it's a dollar more, you pay a dollar more that day. You take the opportunity to buy regionally. And, you know, uh, bringing your own, your own bags is nice. Um, I will say, don't take paper bags. If you forget your bag, go ahead and grab a plastic bag right now. Um, and that's an energy calculation. Pla uh, right. Paper bags, we kill trees, process trees faster than we can grow them. Mm -hmm. That is not sustainable. So when people say, you know, you got to get the paper bags, they biodegrade. Right. Well, just use the plastic bags so many times they're no longer useful. Right. And it actually becomes a more uh, sustainable process. If we eliminate the rest of the things, your waste in your home, mm -hmm. uh, we can throw away a bag or two. Right and then, of course, the last thing is to reduce your waste. If you get a jar from the peanut butter, wash it. Because mm -hmm. how many times do we go out and buy a jar for something else to be stored in? Um, there's so many things in our household that we can use and reuse. Um, if you don't know how, or if that's left your, your mind, cause grandma used to do it 1920s, right. they used to do it. You, there wasn't a scrap left religiously. <laughs> they needed it. We <laughs> yeah. had more butter containers. We had a full set of butter containers of all shapes and sizes. And that was our Tupperware. Absolutely. Uh, we use everything. The disposable mindset is actually what hurts us most. When you buy the spatula that barely works as a spatula because it was 99 cents and you get sick of it and you throw it away and you buy another 99 cent spatula and you do it again and again and again, those came from the other side of the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of energy tied to those. Get one good one and keep that good one until it, chances are it will outlive you. And it should have you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's you're 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 hitting the nail 100 on the head because you know things like that. You know, I I can remember my mom having a set of like pots and pans that were passed down, 
And you don't see that a whole lot because of, you know, this, this rampant consumerism and things like that. Um, and I am one that, my wife too, we, we get the little plastic butter containers and then, you know, that's when we take our lunch to work in them too, because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's easier, it's more convenient that way. Um, do you think that that's one of, one of the biggest struggles and I guess why people struggle so much with, with reducing and reusing and recycling is it's, it's a argument always of convenience over consciousness? Honestly, I don't think it's any less convenient to reuse an item than to buy one. I think it's a public stigma that okay. if you show up to work with a butter container, you're, someone's <laughs> going to go, seriously, you brought butter to work? Like, <laughs> No, I brought rice and chicken. Right. Uh, even my wife at times says, why are you saving those? We have like nice Tupperware stuff from the wedding. Mm -hmm. it, it's still useful. And if you throw it away, it isn't. Because that's another thing that drives me bonkers. Where is a way? We always Absolutely. say, just, just throw it away. Where's a way? Like it's a magical place that nothing ever, ever shows up at. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I, think, I, think it's a, I think it's a stigma thing more than anything. Absolutely. And I've, I've started to kind of follow people that are um, actively taking steps to, to reduce their, their uh, footprint. One of my favorite people, I don't know if, if you've ever been into it at all, but one of my favorite people to follow is a wrestler, Daniel Bryan. He's been, okay. he's been so, so big on, on the idea of sustainable living. Like um, he has his own garden at his house. He's looking at doing one of the little micro house things <laughs> just to, to reduce. Yeah. Just to reduce his, his footprint. Like, I, and I've always been curious about that. Um, what do you think are, are, or how do you think people can, outside of the steps you outlined, how else can people take steps to not only engage within themselves, but their community in regards to sustainable living? Well, the first thing is plant a garden. I love the fact that you said it. Um, I have what is currently mocked as a very large garden in a very small piece of land. Um, I have plants for, that are for food all around the foundation of my home, uh, along with raised beds in the back. Grow your food. Um, and if you grow too much, it's okay. Put it out front for the neighbors. It is absolutely okay to give away food. Um, for some reason in this day and age, you know, the idea of giving something away for free has become taboo, which I think is a little embarrassing for humanity. Absolutely. Put a little thing out front and give it away. If you want to give a caveat, tell them, okay, take the food, but you must do something kind for someone that you don't like. You know, <laughs> something, <laughs> something that helps. But yeah, the first thing you can absolutely do is grow your own food. Um, be a part of your community. If you have a community meeting, I'm, I'm part of the planning commission here in mm -hmm. Duran. Uh, so when we have conversations about, hey, no house in, in Duran can be built under the size of 1,200 square feet, that is ridiculous. That is insane. Yeah. Because as this world changes, we're going to shrink, not grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're gonna, people are learning already that the experience is worth more than the thing. So when you shrink your home, you spend less and allow yourself to explore more. I'm learning that through my wife. We went to Hawaii, had a fantastic time. 
Uh, I'm to the point now, if I ever, if I ever retire, I want to do it there in a little tiki <laughs> hut. It has to have electricity and Wi-Fi, but I want to be there right. on a tiki <laughs> hut. But, right. Uh, <laughs> but that's gonna, you're going to see that. The younger generation already gets it. They've lived mm-hmm. through financial crises all of 2020. Um, it has ruined the idea that money is a rule-all. Experiences are the rule-all these days. So if you want to do something, be a part of your city, help them understand smaller is okay, less cars, walkable cities, complete streets. These are all concepts that are going to make your town better. Absolutely. And well, what, what's your feeling or thoughts on, um, since you have the SpaceX shirt on, Elon Musk a little while ago was really excited about uh, his power wall the the solar battery and and uh you know solar panels on your roof and things like that how do you feel about those things um i i do stand outside the norm when it comes to energy grid okay um the energy grid we have now is fragile at best people don't realize we produce the exact amount that we need on a regular basis you can't just put up panels and turbines and say there we have a new source there we we fluctuate so much in the uk they actually have to crank up their production during a specific commercial time of the most popular show because everybody turns on their kettles at the same time the electric kettles Uh, yeah so they have to monitor this that makes it much more complicated than what most people believe but i'm not a fan of batteries Batteries, lithium ion, it, there's a lot of energy into getting it. We hold very little of it in the ground. Mm-hmm. Other countries pretty much ha- have the majority of it. Um, batteries, and I mean this for chemical batteries, because right. a physical battery, you can pump water up a hill, and when you need the electricity, let it run back down through a turbine. I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything gravity driven. But if you have to mine it, if you have to produce it, if you have to go through all these steps, you're doing it for convenience, not for sustainability. Sustainability would be more of a grid that has wind and solar as a primary and hydrogen fuel as a secondary. So we already have a water supply, and that's how you take care of a hydrogen fuel system. So when you have too much energy, you would just desalinate ocean water which is already rising anyways we you know anything you can take from it is better mm-hmm. um, add it to the city water supplies and use that as a as the base system for uh community electricity wow okay that's, that's a very good answer uh <laughs> and i just i just i have one more before we start to wrap it up it, because uh, of course we live in the the technology age right now um, and everybody has one or two or 10 gadgets at all times. Do you ever think we'll reach a point to where our electronics will be more sustainable or in, in a way that we can reduce the, the now uh, crisis of electronics waste? Uh, they're starting to. The, years ago, they started to try to buy your cell phone back. Um, mm-hmm. We're to a point now where mining the crust of the earth for precious metals is becoming difficult. Uh, Matter of fact, you're probably going to start seeing mining trash heaps for those precious metals at some point. We're going to go back to those 
uh, monuments of human waste and they're going to become the next mine. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, Apple, for an example, has a machine that in a, in a dark building with no heat, you know, with no lights can take an Apple phone apart within seven seconds. They reuse everything down to the screws, you know, mm-hmm. um, that has already has to start because we just scarcity in materials is becoming a problem. And if you have scarcity, it raises the price, then it screws up the whole economic system. So they can't do that. Recycling of electronics is already a primary. Uh, You will probably see in the next 15 years that you'll buy a television and that television will be upgradable. Where you'll use that same television, but you'll be able to take it somewhere and upgrade it to the newest equipment, just like you can with your computer. More or less like modular electronics. Yeah, you'll, ha- you'll have a frame of what mm-hmm. you have, but you'll be able to change it over time to be able to move with the times. Allow, And then they will take back those old boards, take back those old parts, because let's be honest, the people who create them should be responsible for them. 100%. And they will, they will then use every scrap they can because what is left they will pay to dispose of. Right. That's awesome, man. Uh, and so I, I have to... I have to call the time out just because I know I will talk to you for three hours if you let me. (laughs) (laughs) This has been an absolutely amazing talk, man. I appreciate you for being on, for sharing, again, your wealth of information. You proved me right in my (laughs) intro. You are an amazing wealth of information. Um, Do you have any special projects or anything that you would like to throw out there, websites you want to plug or anything? Well, I mean, of course, if anybody is interested, please go to Live Launch. Uh, just type that into your search on Facebook. Uh, Stemnetics yeah. is another one. Um, we really need more people supporting children's STEM and being a part of children's lives. So, you know, just type in Stemnetics into that same search engine uh, on Facebook. Or just, I have a, uh, a Facebook group for sustainability, which mm-hmm. is Greening Your Life. Uh, also can be typed into the search. That is more of just a community of people sharing knowledge of ways to slowly downsize their footprint. Uh, One thing I do want to say is every time you do something positive, doesn't matter if it's in STEM, aerospace, or sustainability, you are growing your positive footprint. Everybody always talks about reducing, reducing, reducing. Our positive actions grow. And every time we do something right, someone sees it. Make sure people make sure people see it. It grows your person. It's like a, uh, it's like a pyramid scheme for good deeds. <laughs> that is, that is awesome. Man. And that's an excellent note to end on. We will make sure to link to everything, um, Stemnetics and live launch and anything else that you have going on. We'll link to it at the, uh, in the description of this show. So thank you so, so very much, man. I tremendously appreciate you being on. We're probably going to have to do a part two to this. Well, I'm honored. This is my first experience of doing anything like this. I'm sure I've rambled on. Sorry, everybody, if I did. Uh, I loved this experience. Thank you. I'm honored that you've even had me on. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, We will catch you on the next one. Thank you guys so very much for tuning in. I am Rob. He is Mike. His profile is linked in the video down below. We will catch you guys on the next one. Peace.